Welcome everybody to the Breaking Breaking Notes Notes Podcast. 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 We're back. This is part two in our series where we're talking about value, money, and marketing. And so money, we all need it. (laughs) We all want it. But there's so much further down at a fundamental level. What is money? And what does money even mean and how does it fit into your life? And so we talk about the properties of money and also how that directly associates with you as an artist. What can we learn from the properties of money? We talk about its general use, what it can do for you, what money affords you. And I think one of the most key things is how does money associate itself with value? What is the value of money? And how should you have your relationship with money? So thank you so much for for listening to this episode. If you want to dive deeper into what we're talking about, talk with us. Come to our Discord channel, Fake News Podcast. Link is in the description. We have a YouTube channel. Subscribe to that. Leave us a review, a rating, and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Music and Spotify. And without further ado, let's get to our conversation about money. Money. Ah. <laughs> money, money, money. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's talk about money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I- I'm down. So, Trevor, I actually have been reading a lot of books about money, and I've dissected it down to maybe not the atomic level, but maybe at least the amino acid compound level, <laughs> right? But before we get into that, that clinical textbook definition, like how do you personally think about money? I guess to some degree, we talked about relationships and how valuable those are. And one of your most valuable relationships from a literal and metaphorical sense is your relationship with money. We all wish we had a, a deeper bond with as musicians. We often neglect it. For the most part, it's pretty abusive. So I do think of money now as a relationship. And it was one I just simply neglected for years and years and years. When you're growing up, didn't really think about it. I knew it's an issue. I knew it causes parents stress. I knew I couldn't get the shiny toys. Then you go off to college. You're absorbed in music. And it's all about the value of your art. And like money just is just a sticky, uncomfortable situation. And then you graduate and you're just hustling. You're taking everything. And all along the way, there's like little things we missed out on. Opportunities. Opportunities like Bitcoin in, in 2013. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or just investing in the most boring standard stocks uh, that would have been really nice to have right about now. But I think improving this relationship with money is one of your most valuable relationships. It's hard because you can't necessarily talk to the money, but to some degree, that money is just as real as any of your other relationships. It's not perfect. It can be sticky. It can be messy, but it can take you a long way. In the value episode, I kind of mentioned my, you know, does it help me grow and is it interesting? I kind of bundle those together. Time and then the actual money. I kind of have those circulating in my head as the approximate calculation, not just for taking gigs, but to some degree, almost everything I do. Brushing my teeth saves me money down the road by not getting reamed by the dentist. Being nice to someone, interest I get to grow, and it can save me money what I need, need assistance down the road. It can save me time when 
oh no, Shiloh's not feeling well. Can you come like watch him? I need to run and do this. Like there's all these like little things that can help that it's not just about me trying to set up some contract for some gig. Almost every action you do has the scales kind of tipping around. And if you can kind of figure out the right balance, then it can be really worth it. So money for me, I want it to be active. I want money to work for me. I want money to be my employee. I don't want money to be my boss. Mm. I want the money to get me. Wow, that sounds really smart. I just, I just made that shit up. Uh, <laughs> write this stuff. Bars. No, that's gonna, bars. Write, bro. Stuff, write this stuff. Bro. Write, write, write this stuff. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but I think they're all close. But if I am weighing money, kind of as number three of the of the huge list, but number three of the most critical things is that with more money. You can, of course, get more time. You can afford more growth. You can afford more interest. So there was a big study, and they tried to figure out what is the best use of your money for happiness, or what is the most return you can actually get on money. And so they weighed it against physical products, going out and buying the car. They weighed it against experiences, going on vacation, going to that concert, and they weighed it against services, things that take away time that you were already wasting. And I bet we can assume the physical product, the good, buying the shiny car, just like the value of that car, the moment you buy it, it starts to go down. We don't like the toy anymore, or it becomes part of our life. Yes, when you first get that new iPhone, you're like, oh, this is beautiful. This is just changing everything. And then the next thing you know, it's it's no different. It just has a nicer refresh rate. So I would think, ah, experiences, it allows you to grow. You go to the concert, it's awesome. You get the anticipation leading up to it. You get that in your memory. Great, right? It is more valuable and a better bang for buck to have an experience and to build those memories. But (laughs) surprise, surprise, number three, the unsexy stuff, someone to come mow your grass, someone to come clean your apartment, someone to come do that home repair and like save you the time, someone to clean your toilet, whatever it is, actually brings more happiness than the other two categories. It is the best bang for buck. It's weird. You wouldn't think someone coming to your place to clean your place. Like, you know, me growing up, it's like, that's my job. It's my responsibility. I made the mess. It's good for my brain to clean up my own mess. You know, why would I pay someone to come clean my house? You know, it's my responsibility. It's a waste of money because I can do it. But using money as a way to buy time, going off the study, that is the best use of happiness. Rather than going off to Cancun and having a great experience, even a wonderful trip, you will get more happiness if someone just came and cleaned your house, which is kind of crazy, but it makes sense because someone coming to clean your house is giving you back time. That is energy you didn't have to expend that you could use for something else. So the way I think about it now, besides one, obviously I want money to be active and I want money to grow and I want money to work for itself. Um, and I want it to buy me time. But some of the things I used to think about, like, oh, I, c- I can always just do this myself. I can do every gig. Like, why not? I need the money. Now I can think of money as a tool, as a partner in this relationship to take things off my plate, to make my life easier, not just to make things harder. Money is a tool for me. Money is my employee. And I want it to work for me. I love that, Trevor. Before we delve even deeper into money, we should probably just find it, right? And 
Honestly, like if you're listening to this after the value episode, I wanted to maybe share an idea that I wanted to share there that I'd forgotten, but I wanted to bring back here. What you said, Trevor, about doing the gig, right, that you wanted to do for money or for providing that value, like is valuable to your life. One thing that I found is like I get satisfaction from doing work, but gigs don't bring me the same joy that they used to. Because it does start feeling like Groundhog Day. You're just sitting (laughs) all day waiting for that one moment to do that one thing. And while the money is good and I'm not being ungrateful, part of my nature as a human is to get better and to grow and to move forward. And so at one point in my life, it was going from being a student and getting into this role of being a productive adult in providing my services for a concert and providing that value, that was great. But now that I've been doing that for a few years, I'm wondering, can I do more? Am I more valuable than this? Right. And so I think that's kind of like a question that gets continually asked in my brain. Am I more, I'm more valuable than this. Right. So then one must invest in oneself and then continue to educate yourself so you can provide more value in the future. And so that was something that I kind of wanted to solidify here before I delve into what money is, because money is a store of value that everybody agrees upon. Now, let's just back it up for a second and think about this. We are humans all living in a society. How does a society function? People do things. They make food. They manufacture clothes. They do work. They build buildings. They build roads. They do all, all every service you can think of a human has to do right now. So why would anybody want to do anything? We always see these memes on you know, Twitter. It's like, man, 8 a.m. comes around and I hate myself. It's like the alarm goes off and I'm just pissed. It's like, wait, why are you pissed? It's because they're probably waking up to do something they don't want to do, but they do it anyway because what? Money. Money. And I think that's where the negative relationship begins with money. It's kind of like what you said. It's like your slave driver. You need it. And because you need it and you're not getting enough of it, you have to do things you don't want to do. But there is something that happens when you accumulate enough money where it now means freedom instead of enslavement. And so that's kind of like what we'll definitely be talking about in the future. That's the path I'm on, the path of financial freedom, financial independence. Uh, So you don't have to do anything you don't want to do and just do everything you want to do all the time. That sounds like, (laughs) okay. But going back to this idea of money, it is essentially a ledger. A ledger is just a list of things one has done for another person. It's just a list of transactions. You're probably familiar with this about Bitcoin, and that that is no coincidence. Bitcoin is like the first decentralized ledger that shows value sent from peer to peer without an intermediary dictating whether or not that transaction can take place. Now, Throughout history, okay, because remember, societies have been around for millennia. We've always needed people to do stuff so that we could all survive, right? So money, the way we see it today, is different 
than it used to be. Money used to just be like seashells. It used to be like salt. this or that it could be salt. It could be gold, right? But the one thing I need you to understand, if you don't remember anything from this podcast, is money is an imaginary construct that we have all agreed upon. It doesn't exist. And because it doesn't exist, it also can be abundant. Your mindset is really important when it comes to understanding this. Money has a few properties. It can take in any object that has these properties could one day take over the form of money. Okay. So let's just go through the these properties of money that I read in Thank God for Bitcoin by Robert Breedlove and like a few other authors. It's really important and it's it's brilliant the way they, you know, dissected it to this. Okay. So money has to be divisible. Okay. It's anything that can be divisible. Cheesecake is divisible. But as we go down the line of other properties, you'll realize cheesecake is not a good candidate for money. <laughs> Even though Debatable. it's delicious. Debatable. Debatable. Okay. <laughs> it has to be divisible. Thereby, it must have the capacity to be subdivided into very small amounts so that scale isn't a problem, right? You, you got to be able to buy Tootsie Rolls with it. And you got to be able to buy spaceships with it. Like how much cheesecake <laughs> you going to have to make to, to buy a spaceship? It's a lot of cheddar. Bro, you're going to have to, you have to make a Madagascar-sized cake, you know, get you a spaceship, right? I love thinking about these old forms of money. Like the Romans would get paid in, in salt, like Roman soldiers. But could you just imagine if they came to present day America and they just saw me sprinkling money all over my fries – yeah, <laughs> bro. What? Flexing on them. I put salt on everything. Just money. Just dumping money on my food. Do it salt based style. You yeah. Know? <laughs> and I, I bet you future societies are going to be like y'all like printed shit on cotton. Yeah. As they start, like, they sprinkle real money on their fries, like crushed yeah. up money. They're like, we have no use for it anymore. It tastes good. These Benjamins. These Benjamins are so delicious. All right. Okay, that was proper number one. Number two is portable. Money must be easily transported from one place to another. This is actually one reason why we stopped actually using gold is because gold in large amounts, let's say you want to buy a house, that becomes heavy. It, <laughs> it becomes pretty obvious when you're transporting all that stuff and you can get robbed, right? So it's not as easily transportable as dollar bills. They're much lighter. The notes that were used as a, uh, a a representation of deposit. That's how we got our paper money. Is they used to be gold, but then we would go to the bank, put our gold in a place where they had armed guards to protect it, harder <laughs> to raid. And then they give us a piece of paper saying we put this much money in there. Then people started trading those deposit slips, denoting how much gold they had in the bank. Okay, so that's how we got to paper money. Fast forward to the crises that, you know, <laughs> unfolded beyond there. Anyway, getting off the subject. So we've got divisible and portable. Those are two properties. The third property is durable. This is where our paper money really isn't doing so hot. <laughs> uh, it must be resistant to physical degradation over time. So this is where cheesecake kind of falls down the down the rabbit hole as well. This is a great <laughs> example to, to, to move cheesecake. forward. Cheesecake is yummy, but if you don't refrigerate it and if you don't eat it within six months, that's mm, it's that mold cake. Great. It's mold cake. Yeah, bro. it's mold cake. So that's not good money. Stanky right? cake. 
stinky cake. This is where gold actually has a huge advantage because on the atomic level, gold doesn't really oxidize. So even like at the atomic level, gold is very durable. It's malleable, so it's not like as physically durable. But if you keep it in a safe spot with relatively stable temperature, it'll be like that. It'll just stare back at you forever. We use gold in manufacturing, in industry, right? So gold has other uses other than money, which makes it not the best use of money. Money, the ideal money, should only be used as money. You can use dollar bills to wipe your ass. That's not. I do frequently. So. Yeah, especially the one dollar bills. They're, it's they're better than salt. Money. The Roman, yeah, better like than salt. <laughs> salt. or cheesecake. Ow, frankly, salty butthole. Yeah, that would be cheesecake. A good yeah, yeah. <laughs> salty butthole. Okay, so that's those are three divisible portable and durable the fourth out of five characteristics of money is recognizable easily recognizable so any form of money should be easily verifiable as authentic and hard to fake this is where cheesecake has a little bit of trouble because i don't know if you've ever been to those showrooms for real estate they've got the cheesecake on (laughs) the table and the dining room table but it's Mm. plastic you could counterfeit cheesecake, and then it would be super durable and recognizable, but not authentic, right? Which is really, really bad. Okay, so that's four. <laughs> Divisible, portable, durable, recognizable. Scarce is the final property of money. Scarcity will provide resistance to its supply manipulation over time. And so the manipulation can take in the form of currency printing, counterfeiting theft, or supply manipulation. If the supply of money can remain fixed, the money can predictably retain its valuable. And this is arguably the most important property. And this is where mm-hmm. our fiat currencies really fail in the property of money. And fiat currencies throughout history have failed. We haven't really talked about fiat. I'm sorry. Just Google search with fiat (laughs) currency. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds of it, but that is essentially the basic principles of money. Divisible, portable, durable, scarce, and recognizable. So now what do we do as musicians now with that information? Because we have a good basis Mm -hmm. of like from the fundamental level, what is money? And looking through all these properties, to some degree, you can associate ourselves <laughs> with money. Remember, this is a relationship. We're, we're in a relationship with money and its attachment to value, our relationship with value. And so divisible, portable, durable, recognizable, and scarce, a lot of those properties, you can somewhat align your own self and your artistic output. Uh, for instance, like divisible, being able to offer different services at different scales, at different rates. If someone wants an opera, I will kindly ask them to leave. No, but <laughs> just, <laughs> um, no. But if they want something huge, I have to be able to reach a large scale and to request a large sum of money for that. But also being able to do something as simple as, hey, do you have any recommendations for this gig? That's just a couple of texts. I myself can be divisible with my time and my labor. Portable. You need to be able to go places. <laughs> if you're able to travel more, thumbs up for money, or be able to be in the right place, even if it's in a digital sense, being accessible, 
being able to do things. That's how you get the calls. That's why the studios call you. That's how the producers call you. Being portable, your flexibility, very valuable. Durable, being <laughs> resistant to physical degradation over time is very important. And this might be, you know, this is definitely one of the, the, like, the bonus points throughout this career as an artist, just as a human in general. Durability is going to be a huge factor in determining how you go about the rest of your life. Being able to adapt, being able to overcome adversity, being able to overcome the years of crap you'll deal with, the bad hands you're dealt with, the good hands, the success, being able to handle all of these waves and deal with the resistance that's trying to prevent you what you're going to do. That is going to be huge as a career. Recognizable, marketing, next episode. And then scarce. We don't want to necessarily manufacture scarcity for you as an artist, for you as value and you as money. I think this is something we as the artists need to overcome to some degree. Because the biggest scarcity is your uniqueness. We all have 100 violinists, 100 violists, 100 computer program, 100 marketers, 100 whatever who could come in and do a pretty bang up job on the show. They can lay it down. But the combination of Viola's social media, who's edited videos, who's personable, who, who can drink coffee really fast, uh, who can do all that, like there is one of that. So there is scarcity and the scarcity is you and your unique skill set because you've improved your value, you've learned all these other things. So that scarcity is to your advantage. The one scarcity that we have to get over, back to the money example, would be, for instance, like the diamond industry. That's manipulated. Oh my diamonds, God. Talk about dim- it. Yeah. Yeah. Diamonds, obviously, uh, slavery, bad. Um, like, uh, like there's so many, you know, we get, you get blood diamonds and all that, all that, uh, remarkably, um, awful stuff. But, the diamond industry heavily manipulated. There are diamonds cartel. all over the place. Call them a cartel because yeah. that's what they it's are. Cartel. There, it's there's cartel. There's diamonds everywhere. And the fact that we pay for diamonds and rings, thousands and thousands, thousands of dollars, and yet there's bits of diamonds on the end of every little saw blade, like at Dude, a Home Depot. We've got to talk about this in marketing because di- the yeah. diamond cartel is probably the greatest marketing campaign in history. But and anyway, yeah, we'll talk it's, about it. It's true. And so that is manufactured scarcity. It's fake. It's driven by marketing. And so to some degree, I think people think of, they don't think of it this way, but it functions in not a dissimilar way with the music industry. It's treated like it's some finite resource that is super special and that we have to pay this one artist $1.5 million to show up and that there's no one else who could come out and do what they do. Even though we know that's not the case, there is an abundance of musical talent there's an abundance of creativity and there is an abundance of artists who can come out and do wonderful work in the work sense, but also creating opportunities. You can play music almost everywhere. You can do so many things with your art. And so to overcome the market manipulation aspects of the scarcity, the kind of fake scarcity is something that I think will improve your life. So we've walked through the principles of money and then we can learn from that as ourselves, as money, as value, uh, with some similar principles. You know, a great example is like, let's say you want to have John Legend's All of Me playing when you walk down the aisle, right? Mm-hmm. 
you could pay no money or you pay like 10 bucks a month for a Spotify subscription and have it playing <laughs> on a loudspeaker. Or, I mean, and that could be it. But if you want something a little bit more valuable, you want some live musicians playing it, you could hire me and I could play an arrangement of it. But if money's not an object, you can actually, if you offer them enough money, you can get the actual John Legend to come and do it for you. Surprise, Drew. He's going to he's gonna be at my wedding. John going to be at your gonna, wedding? He's going to oh, sing. Oh, shit. Okay, he's cool. Gonna I'm, I'm going to dap him up and be like, thanks, bro. Because it's $8 million, but. Good it's collab. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, that that's it. Okay. Yeah. Oh shit. We're gonna have all of him. It's gonna be great. all of him. I, so. That was that was good. That's underestimated. Okay. That was <laughs> peak dad joke. You better oh, check. You better check. There we go. Okay. So why do we need money? I mean, honestly, like when you talk to a lot of people who kind of vilify money as like a mm-hmm. negative construct, they're like, why do we even need it? And as a uh, socialist, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> However, I live in a capitalist reality. And so we need it because in order to fulfill our Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we must have shelter, we must have food, and we must have girlfriends. Mm-hmm. If Those we require don't, money. Those you need money, money, bro. You need money. And so you actually alluded to this earlier about multiplying yourself, this concept of multiplying yourself. If you have a 50-person job that you need to get done and you have no money, you have to do the work of 50 people. You have to invest the time and effort of 50 people. However, if you have money, you can deploy your money like soldiers to get that work done. Now, let's think about it. Let's take that analogy a little further. What human constructed organization that terraforms the planet and transforms nations better than a military nothing what what or nothing nothing armies shape the world how do you get them to do that you pay them money money you pay them money why is america a arguably tyrannical imperialist organization that controls the world because we have the Federal Reserve funding the military industrial complex with what? Money. Money. So you can think about it in that literal sense that money can really move mountains. However, you can also look at it in a figurative way. I think about my money as a musician, like my little soldiers, my little soldiers that go out and do tasks for me. If I can't do something, I go and pay somebody to like Trevor, you go and you hire arrangers to help you scale your operation in terms of time. While they're arranging something for you, you're talking to somebody else handling the logistics of another arrangement. More work is being done because you're investing money there. The final thing that I think is underestimated and is never talked about is compounding, at least in our whole uh, mm. musician cir- circles. Albert Einstein, once again, I'm not even sure if he, he said this because, you know, in the internet age, Albert Einstein <laughs> said everything. So did yeah. Abraham Lincoln. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Compounding is the eighth wonder of the world. What happens when you have a little bit of money in Daniel, you actually put this, you put this so eloquently, it's never too late and never too early, start learning about your money and what it can do and how your money can work for you. If you just graduated from high school, 
good practice. Congrats. Start learning about money. And if you're older and putting yourself in a better position, you know, than you were before, you're trying to save for retirement, you need to learn about compounding. There are financial instruments that we're not going to get into right now. Index funds, dividend stocks, real estate. When you put money into them, that money, much like a brand new solar system building planets, right? The money attracts farther money and builds on itself, builds on itself in this idea of compounding. I'm not good at math, but I understand the concept. When you put your money in an index fund and it pays you a dividend, even if the value of that fund doesn't go up. If it pays you a dividend, you can take the money, it accumulates an interest, you can add it to the principal. So that principal is now a little bit bigger. And then the next year, when that principal is taken off that that slightly bigger amount, it brings in more money. And it does this over and over and over and over again through time. And so the biggest thing you can do for yourself once you have a little bit of extra money, instead of spending it on something you're probably going to throw away, put it into an account or a fund or some sort of financial instrument that accrues interest and then let that interest compound for you over time. That is a really, really powerful aspect of why you need money because that future income, that future pile of money that you stored away, and has been growing by itself is something that you can use in the future to buy your own freedom. To hire John Legend. Yeah, that's how you get John Legend at your wedding, folks. <laughs> compounding yeah. interest. Compounding yeah. interest. So with compounding, because I think it is one of the most valuable things that fundamentally a lot of musicians and artists kind of already understand. Because when else are we also compounding our value and putting in a little over time before we kind of see that exponential growth, the practice room. Practice room. It's the practice room. And so we already kind of get it that, hey, I need to go in here for the next couple of years and I'm putting in there and I can't quite see the growth from that specific bit of practicing. And the next thing you know, you're at Julia. And the next thing you know, you're playing with John Legend. And the next thing you know, John Legend's at my wedding. So, like, <laughs> um, and actually, I'm just marrying John Legend. Sorry, Chris Stegan. Uh, uh, I'm just kidding. Surprise, <laughs> motherfuckers. Uh, if you have enough money, if you have enough money, you can marry John Legend. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, yeah. That's, that's a really good perspective. I also want to just highlight <laughs> how to accrue money. You have to take what we talked about in the value episode, provide value to other people. When you're just starting out, you're not going to be the one who's building stuff necessarily. Like you could be doing it on the side. You're going to do it at a small scale because in order to build big things, you need big money. You're often going to be helping other people who are older than you, who have understood this concept and want to hire you to help them build their thing. And when you're starting out, you don't have the experience. You don't have the understanding. You don't have the framework to build something big. Often, sometimes you're smart and you're a genius and you can do it and you do it. And then you become Lynn Manuel Miranda and then you're, <laughs> you're a millionaire, right? But at the beginning, part of your apprenticeship in this entrepreneurial journey is learning how things are built. 
And how you learn things are built is by participating on the ground level and working for other people. You get your money, you save a portion of it, you invest it, you let it grow, and then you can use that to deploy on your project, whatever that may be. A great episode to go back and check out. One for the artists making albums example. Look at Yaz's episode. Great episode about investing in her music videos, investing in the product that is uh, her artistry. Another good one, of course, our homie, Wynton Grant, the money man. Mm-hmm. He, he, he's, he's just on top of it. It's his niche. Definitely one to revisit. Uh, so I would like to, in this particular portion, um, with some brief discussion on some of the nitty gritty practical thinkings, because I know we we love the high level stuff, but um, obviously there's other studies talking about like the base level of money. It's it's climbing up. It's dependent on where you live, but there is a threshold where you kind of get that diminishing returns on happiness. It was sixty five around sixty five thousand at one point. If you're in New York, it's probably around ninety or something. But there is there is a threshold to where you can kind of get diminishing returns on how much money that has. Now, for musicians, a lot of us aren't even getting to that threshold. We're not even getting to the comfortable stage. That helps with the Maslow's hierarchy and getting that sense of security. You want to do moves that are going to get you at least to that baseline. Something else that Drew alluded to earlier in this episode that I fully agree and can actually translate to my my own life, the gig. The gigs are awesome, but after a couple of years, it's like, do they feel that different? The artists are bigger, but you know, can you reach level 50, year 50 gig? No, some of these people are gigging for their entire life. It's fun. It's fulfilling. Yes, you can improve it as a musician, but it doesn't necessarily feel like that's growth. There can be ceilings that can be hard to bust through or just from a raw satisfaction or money perspective until you hit John Legend tiers and your superstars. But that's like a whole other ballgame. So for me, that was education. I love teaching. Education. I enjoy it. But teaching in a classroom, yes, you can improve as a teacher. You have great impact with all these students. But when I left for LA, someone who had retired after 40 years of teaching that class, and I would most likely have been the replacement. I had that that like flash forward. Oh my God, it's going to be 40 years from now. And I'll have taught the same class, the same school forever. And I won't have grown. And that's what terrified me. Comfy job. I love teaching. I love teaching music theory to the kids. It would have been awesome. But it was a gig, quote unquote, for me because there's not necessarily growth. You don't become super teacher. You don't te- <laughs> you don't teach John Legend right there. Like there's it's kind of a cap. And so it's like, wait, what is my value? What else can I do? What else can I do for money? How can I make this career work for me? So there is the base level of money, thanks to inflation and other factors that always creep up, but you want to work to reach that security level so that, for instance, me with my job at Tonebase, I love it. It checks off a lot of boxes on its own. It's very flexible. I love what we do. I love the level of education we create. I have a say in it. It checks off some of those concerns about education. I learn in it. I grow with it. But also from a money perspective, it just covers the base, the basis. I feel very comfortable with that job. And what that has allowed me to do, say no to a lot of other things, is to work with Tom at Concertize, is to work on these blockchain things with Coda Labs and Drew, and to do this podcast. So tone base, by fulfilling that flat level need, while I want more money, and I do things to be 
somewhat in the bonus. My life has changed because I could reach that base level of support. So finding the base level, very practical things to think about. Goes back to Angela Beeching, the music business coach who's amazing. We're going to have her on. We got to have her on, bro. She's going to, we're going to have her on. I was on business Twitter and one of the people on business Twitter was talking about buying warehouses. Thank you, Winton. Now I follow all these real estate people, even though I don't own any. Um, but one of these guys was talking about buying up warehouses, old school warehouses, and then renting them out, just running a warehouse business. And so what he said was like, if you have a, a storage unit or a warehouse space that is at 100% capacity, you're failing. You need to raise your rates. You need to make it so that you get to around 80% capacity. Now, why? <laughs> because if you're at 100%, then you're not charging enough. You could make more. You need to have that wiggle room because then you can get that 80% starts to fill up. Then you raise the rates again. You're kind of finding the safe amount to where you could then make more money or even the same amount as you were making with the 100%, but with less electricity, less people in there, and still flexibility to grow the business further. What does this have to do with music and yourself? With your time, if you are working, working, working for someone else 100% to get your money, you need to dial that back somehow. You need some flexibility to take care of your own health, some flexibility to chill the fuck out, some flexibility to take on those interesting not paying money. So for me, tone base was kind of like that. I was working 100% all the time to do for everything, everything for money because I need to survive. Getting my, in air quotes, day job, uh, which is still very music related, I just suddenly had more time to do other things. The warehouse. If you are running a music teaching studio, if you have 50 students, you need to raise your rates. You need to get that that back down because that just means you don't have time. You're not able to adequately give 50 individual students the proper care and education. Raise the rates. And this is something Angela specifically talked to, to one of um, the people in in our power group. is like, raise them. I know it's tough. You might lose some students you love. But if you don't do this, you will never have the energy or the time to do all the other things you want to do. Put them in groups, bundle them. And she's like, well, shouldn't I charge less? No. She's like, charge even more because they're learning in a group setting and they get to learn from each other. Like there's all these different types of creative ways, but even that simple little Twitter thread about the warehouse metaphor changed how I would view this. You need to have that wiggle room. And if you're working at it 100%, you need to find a way to raise those rates, raise your value, raise something so that you can get that extra space uh, in the storage unit. You know, what's really interesting about what you said, though, you said this in the value episode, but you're talking about like really expensive products, right? There is a value associated with that. You have to be aware of what you've done in your life. A lot of musicians charge too little. And it's just a fact, especially Mm -hmm. people like me with master's degrees, because we want to get the gig. However, you know, if you've actually done the work, you've built your efficiency, you've done all these different things. Why can't you view yourself as the Gucci of like violin, the Gucci of bassoon, the Gucci of cello? Not everybody can afford you. Yeah. If they need you, they need to pay for the premium experience, efficiency, and value that you you bring to the table. 
So maybe you're playing four gigs a month, but you're making six times the amount of money that you used to. And you have all that extra time to use, to build, to continually grow yourself. And this is like something that I've actually realized. I've turned down so many gigs recently because I made the decision that I'm not leaving my house for anything less than a certain amount. And so there's going to be a point in your career where you realize, I don't want to do that. And that's the moment you need to raise your rate. That's I love it. The easiest thing you can do to turn down a gig is the money factor. You don't have to, oh, I'm sorry, I'm really busy that day. It's just like, hi, you know, sorry, like this is this is my current, you know, minimum rate. Uh, and this is what it is. Because also, as we know, they associate that value with the price. And so when they get that gig, we we talked about this a, a while back when we were doing uh, money episodes, probably around a year ago or six months ago. It's been a while. When you're pricing specifically for that gig, the film calls, if I have the time, if I love the project, I love the person, there's long term, you know, it checks heavily enough boxes. Yeah, I'd love to do it. But I don't have to take every gig anymore. I spend more time saying no to things because I don't need it. And I'm really weighing the time. Even the gig came through yesterday. It's like, oh, it's more valuable for me to hand this off to someone else and help them out than for me to do it. I could do it. Yes, I'd love extra money. John Legend isn't cheap. Uh, you know, <laughs> I got, I got, I got, got to pay him those bills. But I think, yeah, keeping these types of things in mind, and that they will associate that value with you. The practical reality is, is that the higher my rates are, the less revisions I wind up doing, the more respect it receives. And even when I put up the higher rate, and they're like, "Sorry, we just don't have the budget for that," there has been times when they come back in their future projects. When they do have that budget, they've associated you with that budget, with that value. And so I think it is uh, incumbent upon you to raise your rates, understand your value. Yes, when you're starting off, you're probably going to do a bunch of free things. You're probably going to do a bunch of cheap things. Of course. When you have the skills, when you have the pedigree, when you have the connections, when you have things going for you and you are just floored to the wall busy, raise those rates and feel comfortable saying no. When I am teaching someone, we're talking it's a hundred bucks an hour. That's expensive. But then it's like, well, if I teach you, I'm pretty confident that for, you know, I can maybe get you there twice as fast or twice as efficient or have twice as less problems that you're going to need to work through. So you're, you're paying for that experience, that value. Can I also jump in there? Because like the last thing on the bow I want to put on this, mm-hmm. this point is that people talk and they talk more than they ever have. Right, it's the age of social media, Twitter, Facebook. They won't shut up. Secret Facebook, secret secret Facebook groups. If you charge a lot for one gig and a little for another gig, people are going to go like, "Oh wait, you got them to do that for that rate? How did you do that?" If you don't value yourself, people will not do it either. This is 2022, y'all. We just started. We're just barely into the second week of 2022. Okay, make the decision to not do anything for less than your base rate because then if somebody comes back to you and or or somebody wants to hire you in the future and they ask around their circle hey i want to reach out to that viola kid and get him to come talk to my school what did you pay him what what did he quote you and then when they reach out to you and you quote them something different that's lower 
they're going to go back to the other person and say like, oh, I got it for cheaper. Like, you know what I'm saying? So you don't want to, you don't want to be inconsistent. Number one. And number two, you also want to realize this is a brand new year. You're a brand new person. You have more efficiency, more achievements under your belt. You should charge more. Inflation is happening. You should charge more. Right? So just make sure that you are valuing yourself and the gigs you say no to really define you. If you can walk away from doing the Grammys and be like, nah, that's not for me. What does that mm-hmm. say about you, homie? <laughs> you're, you're willing to, wait, to walk away from three grand doing a wedding? You're willing to walk? What, dang, what else you got going on? What are you trying to do? Mm-hmm. Oh, I got this podcast. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I got to show up. <laughs> it just practically you know, prints money. My time is more well spent there. Okay, so just remember your value is correlated to the gigs you say no to. Thank you for joining us for our like money chat. Just the principles around it. Remember, money comes in many different shapes and sizes, but it has the same five properties of divisibility, portability, durability, recognizability, and scarcity. But at the core of it, just remember it is a construct. It's an idea. It's abundant. It's infinite. And there's no reason you shouldn't be out there going and getting your bag. <laughs>